Blog Talk Radio. Especially those in the conscious community, please step it up. 
Step it up. Step it up. Step it up. Step it up. It is good. It, discipline is a good thing. You don't have to beat your children, but your children should have a level of discipline. There's plenty of tools in the toolbox. It's conversation, right? You can use disappointment. You can use authoritative tones, right? The second thing might be grounding or punishment or taking some kind of um, some some kind of activity away, extracurricular uh, activity or what have you, video games, all that, right? And then the last thing, the last resort is spanking. But the first resort is talking, and you want to use reasoning and, and allow your children to uh, get reasoning skills. On the reasoning skills, they have to understand, okay, mom, dad had a conversation with me first. Then after that conversation, after they walked me through why what I did was wrong, the things that could happen, uh, you know, then they expected me to toe that line because now I got knowledge and knowledge is responsibility. That's one thing. The next thing after that is, hey, if that child does something, the same thing twice, then you start saying, well, okay, we've already went through this. Now I've got to take something away or I'm not giving something. Matter of fact, I might, not, might, might be taking it away or not giving it for a while, right? And then the third step is, hey, after I talked to you, gave you reasoning uh, skills, I, you know, I gave you knowledge on the situation, I took something away from you, I grounded you, put you on some sort of punishment. The next thing is, that, yo, I got to spank you. Now I got to show you that the, that the uh, stove is hot. So we're going to have that topic of discussion coming up because I've been getting all kinds of pushback from uh, my brothers from the Brothers Bill and other folks who are saying, oh, they don't believe in spanking. But, you know, I, I always say this again, when we go to events and we got conscious people in the building, they are the ones that are having the hardest time uh, dealing with their children. And part of that is because, uh, you know, the children haven't learned that, you know, the iron is hot. Mom, dad tell you to, to chill out, to stop. That's when you stop. You don't learn that at home. You go to school and you put that out to other children. I got students that are, uh, you know, you, you look at the stuff that's going on in these schools, and you got students that don't have a healthy fear of the adults that's working in the schools. Now they're putting their hands on the adults in the school. I saw a YouTube, uh, no, not YouTube, I'm sorry. I think somebody put it, it was a World Star video. You know, every time something ignorant happened, it's on World Star. So it was a World Star video of a student fighting an adult teacher. I guess all teachers are adult, right? But fighting a teacher. I mean, when I'm talking about blows, I'm talking about dragging this woman on the ground, the whole nine. When I was coming up in school, even in high school, yeah, I'm pretty sure there was a lot of teachers I could have beat down. I knew it, right? But I had enough respect and a healthy fear of my mother, of my father, my grand, my grandmother, my family. Like, I wouldn't want that kind of shame on my family. So I had a healthy fear of that, that I wouldn't put that out there. These children don't have that because we walked away from discipline. We've pretty much allowed the children to dictate things, and part of it is because books that are written, books that you buy, books that the schools are buying. So you get all these pseudo uh, these pseudo uh, studies, and the studies are not a large enough sample size. It doesn't. Then they use, oh well, how about people that's in jail? A lot of them got whooped. Yeah, but what about the conditions that they were under? Sometimes you know, you know, when you're taking penitentiary chances. If your conditions are worse than the whooping or the punishment, man, you're going to definitely take that. With that, I got one of my original uh, callers calling in, so let me bring this brother on the line. Brother O, what's up, brother? How you doing today? Man, how you doing, Brother Barry? Hey, just leaving my after-school program, and it's ironic that you're talking about this very topic. Um, it's a topic near and dear to my heart. I agree with you that we are falling away from, from discipline and what it is. Um, a lot of people putting out a bunch of false information. 
and people are just swallowing it wholesale, you know, practicing what they read in some book instead of what life has taught us. So I agree with you. It is not the only tool in the toolbox. It shouldn't be uh, the first option you use to deal with your child, but to completely abandon it, to say I'm never going to do that, nah, you can't reason with a three-year-old. A child is right. what they want. If you don't bring discipline, if you don't bring order, and you don't enforce what you bring, what's the point? Mm. Yeah, brother, it, it's kind of crazy, man, because I, I see this a lot with the schools, and you have the, you know, they got restorative justice, and I believe in restorative justice. I believe that a child should be able to allow to reenter the classroom and uh, not always be suspended. Everything is not a suspension. Everything is not worth the suspension, I should say. That's, you know, it's like one of the tools in the toolbox. But one of the things that I do notice is that we have a lot of the same scholars that are putting their hands on students, whether they're, they're physically or sexually. Then we have another, a lot of the, those same scholars, when you're talking to the parents, the parents don't know what to do with them. And if you talk to the parents long enough, the parents are telling you, well, hey, he's acting like this at home. He's doing this at home. He's doing this uh, when he's out in the community. He's doing this, you know, anytime something happens, he's doing this, and I don't know what to do. And my thing is, when I hear parents say they don't know what to do, and then I say, well, hey, what kind of discipline you you instill at home? The first thing they tell me is I don't whoop them. And I'm like, well, you know what, I didn't even ask, do you whoop them? But, you know, that's the first thing you jump to, I don't whoop them. Okay, all right, what you do? Well, I take away the video game from them. All right, cool. I talk to them. Cool. So you don't, you, you talk to him and you take away the video game and you just leave it at that and he's still going? Okay, that's a kid that hasn't realized that the stove is hot. That makes sense to you, brother? Complete sense. My mom would say even common sense because what I've found, you know, in conversations I've had with parents, with, with uh, my friends of mine that, that believe in that different kind of justice, if, if you could use that as such a term and to describe it, <laughs> is that they'll say that. But they'll also explain the loophole or the caveat that that kid uses to escape that punishment. I've had parents tell me, yeah, I took his video games. Well, he does go to a cousin's house. His cousin got video games. Okay, if you took his video games, but you're allowed to go to a place where video games are being played, don't you know your child is playing video games? Don't you know any punishment or leverage you had, you just lost? I'll be honest. I think a lot of parents, and I don't know where I heard this, but I heard it somewhere, they're not parents anymore. The 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 gatekeepers. They're not even gatekeepers. They're not raising their children. They're maintaining them. Mm. I feed you enough to keep you alive. I give you enough water right. to clothe you. I entertain right. you. But to give you those life skills to survive once you leave my home, we're not doing mm. that anymore. Man, you know, and and that's the that's the one thing for me, you know, as a as a father. That you know, I, I worry about. You know, I always say, man. I, you know, I I'm invested in other people and their children because of my children. You know, that that's that's where the investment come in. You know, uh, I'm invested in in that because of my children. I, I want to make sure that my children are, uh, you know, that they have people that they can depend on that look like them, that they can have possible, you know, mates in the future or they could have people in the community that they can relate to. And the thing is, and I said this the other day joking around, and I was like, you know what, I'm saying this, but, but you know, I'm saying this jokingly, but I'm, I'm kind of like serious with this. I understand why some people take their kids right out of the city, right into the suburbs. Not because they're trying to get away from black people per se. It's because sometimes, man, 
when you give your, and we we could talk about a student that we had, Bobby Shell, right? Yeah. Bobby was a super intelligent kid. Bobby was I, man, he he couldn't get a more loving family than for Bobby, right? Bobby was very mm-hmm. uh, man. The kid was man. He he was an excellent student, an excellent classmate, an excellent friend. Excellent son. There's nothing that you could really say bad about Bobby as a person. Nothing you could say, really. And I remember just sitting in the class sometimes just, like, thinking, like, man, you know, when they stole his watch out of his bag, out of his desk, and thinking, here's a kid that's ne- probably never stole anything from anybody. But because his parents want him to be here and get this education from our people, this is what he has to go through, the torment. Uh, people doing things in class, and he has to be witness to these things, things that he's probably – Never seen inside of his house. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if I was Bobby's father or mother, would I keep him in this school? You know, you know, we, we, we could play it and say, man, and we, our people be running uh, from, the, from, the, from the inner city. But the flip side of it, too, is, you know, if we want our people to stay, then it's a collective thing that we got to make sure that we're giving people a reason to stay. And, you know, your children is your best, uh, is your most precious investment. And if I'm going, you know, whether it's myself or one of the brothers in the build, if they're, they're children, I'm, I can understand why uh, some of our children go to other schools that are not in the inner city. Well, I saw a video uh, yesterday, and it was discussing this young football player, uh, freshman. I can't think of the uh, the city. I want to say it might have been Cleveland, but with the family, the father moved his family from Cleveland to a suburb, a safer space, because the father and the mother were concerned about the violence, mm. only to have the son uh, be targeted by his teammates because he saw what Colin Kaepernick did and saw how it applied to his life at his new school and decided that he wasn't going to stand for the flag either. And then he started getting death threats. And I saw the mm. father and the, the angst and the frustration on his face, and he said, I took my, kid, my, my son out of the hood because I was worried about him getting shot. He said, now I'm putting him in this, what, what I consider to be, or what we consider to be a safer space, and he still ain't safe. He's probably mm. in, 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 in more of a threat now than, than he was before. And that's why mm. I think of the stuff that we've talked about the build in the past, about us being each other's network, man, our brother's keeper, and, and really building our own. Because, bro, I, I don't know how the rest of the world feels, man, but I really feel like the moments of – of us being able to be just dispersed and everywhere else and surviving mm. is coming to an end. We're going to have to, by, 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 by hook or by crook, get together and start doing for our own because, A, not only is nobody else going to do it, B, there's always been strength in numbers, and we just too spread out, bro. We too spread out. Mm. Um, I uh, teach at a Catholic school now, and uh, today – we had the meeting at one of the biggest schools, and I couldn't tell you how many kids I saw from Freedom Schools past, how many kids I saw from Harvest Network, from Best, that I saw at this school. Several. Um, I, 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 got, I got out of my car and walked across the street, and I heard somebody miss the hose. I was shocked. I, I, I was blown away. So parents are looking for that alternative. My, my thing is, is that we come from a people who went to the one-room schoolhouse where you might have had mm-hmm. one person 
that legitimately had a college degree, if that. But right. the community made sure that the children were safe. They made sure that they were fed. And that generation of black Americans knew that education was the key. They knew it. If my child is right. not going to be a sharecropper in 20 years, he got to get this. She got to get this. Right. I, I feel like we value it, but we almost feel like, all right, we value it, but it's up to somebody else to provide it. Now, mm. I'm not one to to bring up what the government said. You know, this might be not, not the place to bring up the Constitution, but I want to bring it up for this one purpose. It it it, it mentions a lot of things that the government can and should do for you. No and that doesn't guarantee your education. That is always mm. been on the people, whether whether we want to admit it or not. Right. You look at the preamble constitution, it's not in there. So life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. They ain't said life, liberty, pursuit of education. That has always been on the people and I kinda of feel like we need to go ahead and take ownership of that and produce better places for these kids to learn. And then parents got to understand, I, I realize that the finance is tight, but we came from less. We came from less. My, my, my mom did not have anywhere near what she provided me to, to, to give us a life that she gave us. She worked with way less tools. Right. To me, it's about priorities, putting that power, that money, that focus, that energy, that love, and that determination where it really needs to go. I, I, my kids, the kids I'm teaching now, everybody got tablets. Right. Everybody got cell phones. And I understand about keeping up with the Jones and the technology. I, I, I understand that, but I've seen so many tablets. Trust me, no learning going on on them. Instagram mm-hmm. maybe, but, you know, no no real learning. Right. We got to put time back in the right things or, or, or at least have a discussion about what we feel the right thing is. But to blindly just sign some phones and put your kid on the school bus and give them less money? You got to let that go. Not if you want your child to well, you know, to brother, you know, one of the things I, I, I wanted to talk about that, too, because I know I, from last year and even this year, I got, I had, you know, last year I had a set of twins, and this year I got a set of twins in the same class. And I was talking to the twins, and, I, you know, I was talking to one twin, and she does pretty well. I like one of my twins did well last year. And I was asking that twin exactly, you know, what, hey, what's going on when you get home? Are you taking extra homework? Because at the school I'm at, they don't, you know, Freedom Academy School, they don't, uh, they don't want uh, the kids to get homework. So I talked to one twin. She said, "Yeah, I take the extra work. I work on it at home." Man, you know, spelling test. She's acing it. Math, acing it. Reading, acing it. So then you talk about talk to the other twin. They got the same DNA, same genetics, right? They're not identical twins, but they're paternal twins. And you, you're talking to them. You're like, "So hey, what's going on? You know, what, what, what's she doing at home?" Well, you know, I'm studying, she's watching TV, or she's, you know, hanging out with mom, hanging out with the other siblings. Last year we had the other same with the other paternal twins, one boy, one a girl. The boy would be inside of the house studying, going over things, making sure he got everything locked down. His sister would be watching TV with mom and doing other things. Mom wasn't on top of it. The twin that took the initiative to do the extra work, the twin that took the initiative last year when we were giving homework, that twin is the one that flourished when it came to getting the work done. And what I'm, I'm saying all that to say, brother, you know, we have to put the effort into it. You know, we need to stop letting our children, you know, like the system is trying to teach our children how to cut corners. And, you know, when you do math, and you know, math, you know, when you do math, you still need a piece of paper and a pencil. You don't use a pen. Mm-hmm. You don't use a calculator. You don't use a tablet. You know, when you want to learn how to spell a word, you need to sound it out. You need to use the syllables. You need to write it out. 
You need to do these things. These are things that help our brain learn and hold capacities. These things do not change. I don't care what new games they come up with. I don't know what, I don't care what new tactics they come up with. You still can whoop them with the same old techniques. Our problem as a people, in my opinion, brother, just like how you were saying about giving them the lunch money, putting them on the bus, is that that's as far as we go. We believe, and I think this has been a false saying in our community for a long time, that all I got to do is put clothes on your back, food in your belly, and shelter over your head. And that means I'm a great parent. No, the great parenting is also making sure that you're having a great education, that I'm showing you respect for yourself. Because once you have respect for yourself, then when you go out to the world, you're going to give that to the rest of the world as well, and that's going to come with discipline, with that respect. When children don't aren't taught respect, they don't have self-respect. They can't give it to anybody else. I don't care what the age is. And I and I brother, I just feel like so much of that is missing. I agree. I I completely and totally agree. Uh, this is my first time uh, dealing with educating three uh, adolescents or adolescents. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade is a big difference <laughs> from kindergarten, first, second, and third. Uh, the thought process is different. Uh, what's important to them is different. Uh, but what I'm seeing, even at this advanced age, is that kids still want to be respected. They still want to be able to express themselves. They still want attention. Um, I got a lot of attitude where I'm at right now, but it, it's changing for the better. And, and, and sometimes attitude is not a bad thing. I really no, think that in order to truly educate your child as a parent, as an educator, you have to take the time to really know your child. That's I wonder, this, this, I, I top my head, how many parents sit down and actually talk to their kids beyond the mundane what you do at school today? Like, really, what do you want to be? Where do you see your life going? I, my mom used to ask me some of what I thought was the most eyeball questions ever. But it always kept me on my toes. And and, and and then for no other reason, I knew that she cared about me. I knew she wondered what was going on in my head because she asked me. We had a conversation on my way to work a couple of days ago, and uh, she asked me, I think it was third grade, uh, one, of my, one of my childhood friends had threatened to run away from home, and I brought it right. up to her over the dinner table. And she asked me, she said, you ever thought about running away from home? I know stuff ain't been perfect. You know, stuff ain't kind of you know, been right since your dad got out the picture. Things are different. It's a rougher neighborhood. And I looked at my mom and I said, why would I leave a perfectly nice house like this? We got a beautiful home. I got a mom that loves me. I ain't got to worry about too much. I just got to do what you ask. Right. She said that she had been feeling guilty. You know, she told me that as I, I got older that, you know, maybe I was missing out on some things or, Maybe she should do things a bit differently. She said, when I said that, she's like, all right, I must be doing something right. But she she knew yeah. to ask. Yeah, sure. She right. knew to ask. I, I think I think sometimes with again, I don't want to I don't want to blame technology because it's, it's a it's a blessing and a benefit within itself. But I feel like sometimes people are raising strangers. I mean, they, right. they go to school so they don't have the time. If they don't play right. sports, they're not involved in activity. It's training time for that. The parents not there. When right. do parents get a chance to sit down and talk to their own kids about their lives? Um, in my after school program, 
I'm trying to uh, get the kids to think beyond, but I'm asking right. them basic knowledge questions about themselves, about their families. I, I had eighth graders, ninth, no, seventh graders have no idea when their parents were born, where their parents grew up. This is stuff I asked my parents out of curiosity. Like, I want to know, you was a kid once. Where's home? If your kid, your child, doesn't know about you, and you don't know about right. them, how are you going to raise them? No, no, that, that, that's definitely true. And see, that's the biggest thing that I feel like is just like the communities. You know, you think about it, what they say about the communities now, everybody's like strangers inside of their homes. And I think that that's a big thing. When we all like strangers amongst each other, you know, in our communities, and then you take it on to the home level, it's like, man, you know, at the end of the day, we have a lot. We, we, we have a lot of things that we feel like things are just going to fall in place. You can't gift your kid into knowing them. You can't gift your kid into having respect for you, uh, the people around them, themselves, or their community. You can't do that. And a lot of times what parents are thinking is, well, I'm just going to give them what I have. And you know what, that, that's something else that I noticed. Like, people are always, when you talk to them about discipline, the first thing they bring up is what what life was like when they were a kid. And, yep. you know, it's like, and then when you ask about why do they give so much, they always bring up, well, I didn't have this when I was a kid. And it's like, okay, yo, I understand that. I, I'm with it. I mean, there's a lot of things I didn't have. You know, my father didn't show up to uh, my basketball games. So, I'm at my son's football game. I'll be at one on Sunday kicking and ticked, ticked off that these people are scheduled a game on NFL Sunday. But more than likely I'll be there, and if I'm not, it'll be one of the very few that I've ever missed. My father and my mother wasn't at most of my games. I would say that 99% of my games, they have never seen me. They, I shouldn't say never seen me play. They've seen me play. They just haven't seen me play as much as other people have. So I, I so I make sure, you know, those are things that I make sure that I'm a part of. I make sure I'm a part of the education. I make sure that I'm a part of, even with my wife, you know, I, I try to make sure that I'm, as much as I can as a father, uh, you know, touching bases with her regarding our kids and our upbringing because my parents didn't do much of that. So those are the things that I'm trying to make up for. The material stuff, I'm like, man, you know, hey, I, I can care less for because I know the material things, we we all know that kid who had everything in the neighborhood. And we know how that kid normally ended up. Those kids are normally yep. the worst kids because they have everything. They never had to work for anything. They don't know about working for anything. So we know about that. But let, let's shift gears real quick because I've been gone for such a long time, and I, and I need you to. I need your help to run through the gauntlet of topics. Uh, first thing I need to talk about is let's talk about Colin Kaepernick. You being a military man. I need to ask this question from you. I posted this on Facebook last night. No one really talked about it. But my question is just this, and I'm going to read this um, to, to, the, to the air, over the air. Um, why is it that we have found this comfort in the military in this country? Didn't even Dwight, Houser, Dwight Eisenhower warn the country of the military complex? Think about those drones and how much they cost and, comp- and compare that to the lack of school books, busing, healthy lunch, and proper staff in public schools. Don't think about bombs they are, they arm with as just simple missiles. Look at them as millions of dollars being burned every time one drops. 
Then add in the innocent bodies that are being killed in the process. Then think back to your children and no child left behind. Is that slogan living, slogan living up to its word? We love the military, but at what cost? We stand for the flag and sing the anthem, but at what cost? And I'm bringing this back to Colin Kaepernick because I feel like he's doing something that I feel like is very heroic. He's questioning that, that idea. He's not necessarily talking about the military per se, but people are using the military as a way to argue against what he's doing. And my thing to you as a brother that's been in the military, why is it that you know Joe Public is now all of a sudden so much in love with the military but refused to vote on any laws to help veterans? I'm glad you brought this question up. And if, perchance, when I'm passing through, my phone call drops, I will call right back. All right, so mm-hmm. it's so many different fronts, so many different emotions when I think about this, and I, I try to be as clear as possible. One of the things that a couple of the vets that I know that I'm close with that I trust have talked about is this era of false patriotism that showed up around 9-11. I remember where I was 9-11. I was active duty military already, and I think there's this amazing ability to forget how White people in the 60s burned the flag and defecated on the flag and urinated on the flag. Mm. Now, not brothers now, not black folks, not brown or black people, white people. That cross-cultural, counter-cultural, uh, counter-cultural thing they were going through in the 60s and 70s, they did all kinds of the flag. And now, 30, 40 years later, you want to cry about a, a brother kneeling? It's mm. crazy. And the fact that you want to discuss him kneeling and all his imperfections, him being raised by white parents, him being adopted, him being biracial, him not starting for uh, the 49 quarterback, when you should be questioning why he's kneeling in the first place. There are a lot of black veterans and, and, and some veterans that aren't black that are completely behind him because this country is supposed to be about having the freedom of choice and freedom of will. He wasn't being disrespectful as a soldier. I found all those people speaking for me way more disrespectful than Colin Kaepernick ever was. Mm. Mm. Um, as far as defense, I'm not going to lie. When Bush was in office, we got a raise, it seemed like, every six months. Right. And one of the things I used to hear from civilians when I got out was, thank you for your service. I used to hate that when I first got back from combat. Because, A, mm. you don't know what I did. B, you have no idea what I've gone through, and you're saying it is what people think they're supposed to say. You don't really mm. mean that. You don't really care. It's just, you know, I'm right. a vet. You know I'm a vet. Thank you for your service. Some right. people do mean it, but for the most part, it's empty rhetoric. Uh, I, one white girl told me this when I was at Tony University. I said, you know what? Keep your thanks. Vote for better people in office so I'm not spending my time on some guy sticking rock killing brown people for no good reason. Mm. That was my thought process on the entire thing. As a black man that joined the military, I did it for a better way. Some of my fans said it was a waste of my time. Some of my fans said, you know, you, you are now part of the problem. But it solved the personal issue I was going through at the time. But I never, right. ever, 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 ever forgot about all the black soldiers before me who fought right. for this country and came back and got treated like second-class citizens. Right. Never. And I never did anything in, in combat or anywhere else to embarrass my people. Mm. I used to say this, and I got into it for it all the time. From 
the toe of my boot, from the front of my boot, to how far the world stretches, I do for my for the army. I owe them that. But from the heel of my boot backwards is my pride as a man. And I was black and a man before I ever became a soldier. Some mm. soldiers forget that. Some remember it. I didn't get brainwashed. I didn't forget who I was, who raised me, how I grew up, for the many black people that lived and died before I got here. For right. white people, and it ain't all white folks. I, I, trust me, I served with some confused black folks. It's a whole bunch of them on my timeline who you, you just got to hope that they see the light at some point. Right. But I, I, I never got it confused, never got it twisted. And I agree with you, that money that's being spent on national defense will be better spent on feeding our children, on educating them, on getting them better trained, better teachers, better school systems, parks that the kids can go to. Again, priorities. It's a complete and total misallocation of funds. If we quit meddling everybody's business, we wouldn't have to worry about so much about being safe. Right. But let me say this, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad the phone is still on. <laughs> when 9 11 happened, <laughs> I, I, as, as a human being, the loss of life, I, I felt that. I felt bad for anybody that lost anybody in the Twin Towers, on any of the planes, the Pentagon, any of that. I, my, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a man, I am a human being. But as a black American that has seen terror, that has understood terror from, from right. the various citizens that I'm protecting, my, my heart right. just No Kool-Aid, zero. Mm. I almost chuckled to myself and my soul like, y'all really thought that y'all could do the dirt y'all done to build this country and then go somewhere else on somebody else's country and dictate how they live life with the dirt we have mm. done and you ain't never going to get touched? That ain't the way the world works. Mm. I said this to a friend of mine again, full uniform, broad daylight and full hood. You crying about some towers in a plane when it's kids in Beirut, Lebanon, on the, and the guys are strip who bombs blow up in the morning, they still go to school. Mm. America's belief in its own system shows how lost in the songs we really are. I, mm. I want to finish this, at least from my point of view, with that. And, and I'm borrowing this from Shannon Sharp. Go ahead, brother. If we if we boxing, and I'm from New Jersey, and from Ukraine, and we all I'm I'm an American that I'm that day. But the minute somebody black questions this country, which everybody black should be questioning it, really any race you should be questioning. But if you if you black, you show enough to be. Understanding what's going on right now, I'm, I'm no longer American. Because I question the status quo, because I question the laws that have been put in to set me up for failure. Not now, I'm not American anymore. Ridiculous. Mm. I can't even call it a double standard. It's worse than that. But we mm. still got brothers and sisters who don't get it, and that's the part that blows me away. Some, some crazy atrocity happened, and there's this, all of a sudden this white outcry, and it's still black folks running up first to wipe their tears. I don't understand it. Yeah, you know, I, I saw somebody ask on Facebook, where were you at during 9-11? And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's crazy that we, we ask these crazy questions. 
and in everything that we do. I mean, look, these are activists. You know, I, I got we got black folks who are activists who mean well, but it 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 it, 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 it kind of always you know brings home the point to me about racism and white supremacy and black inferiority is that we learn how to be hurt because they tell us we should be hurt. Like, I, I was sitting there yep. the other day, like, man, all the things that we, we, we always say, man, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If that's what happens, I'm going to do that. And then you say, man, but where did we get that from? Who showed us that? Who showed us to respond that way? And a lot of the responses that we get, we, we, we really learn from them. And a lot of the, the yep. responses, the responses are dishonest or they're harmful to ourselves. So we have to, you know, soak in these things. And, and when it comes to 9-11, my thing is this. You know, I, I always say, remember September 10th, because the world was talking about racism and Zionism. And that was a very big conversation. And we've, for the past 16 years, no one else is talking about that. You know, in this mm-hmm. country, has gotten worse. So it's reared its head, and, and, and you know, and, and no one really talks about that. Uh, black people have been very docile uh, as the past eight years because of President Obama. So we've become more patriotic, if you will, based off the president. But at the same yep. time, we haven't got, you know, things haven't gotten much better for us. We've lost no. a lot of ground, a lot of things that we had beforehand. So I wanted to bring that up as far as the Colin Kaepernick and the military thing. The other thing was, I was Googling Rodney Harrison's name last night. Because I figured, you know, since he can tell people who's black and who ain't black, right? You know, he said Colin Kaepernick wasn't black and he doesn't know anything about racism. I wanted to Google Rodney Harrison's name, and I did, to see what, um, you know, what what, what kind of uh, things have Rodney Harrison taken a stand for. I got goose egg. Rodney Harrison hasn't spoken out on anything regarding black people. And I'm I'm questioning Rodney Harrison, Jerry Rice, Fat Joe, and the rest of these guys. And I'm asking, so you're mad at Colin Kaepernick because he's kneeling. He didn't ask anybody. Somebody asked him what he was doing. He was minding his own business. And he's given answers. And he's responded to everyone. Uh, but when that happened to Trayvon Martin, where was your outrage? Where was your outrage when it happened to Eric Gardner, Just, you know, on film? What was your outrage at with, with, with Philando Castile? What was your outrage with Mike Brown? And my thing is this, you know, if you got the, the goal to speak out against people who are standing up for injustice to black people, you know, if you're black, you're supposed to stand up for injustice for black folks. At least have a track record of standing up sometimes. And with most of these people, including Jason Whitlock of Fox, I could not find a time that Jason Whitlock has stood up for something that was appalling to African Americans. I agree. I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of black people, uh, simply the public eye, public purview, uh, sweetness is just another issue. Um, since we are on the subject of black quarterbacks, Cam Newton's reversal from being a black quarterback to just pretty much not taking a stance on anything. To me, it's deplorable. I made a point to my scholars in my class to let them know that, hey, you know, if there was no Jim Brown, if there was no Lou Alcindor, who eventually became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, if there was no meet their demise about what happened to Muhammad Ali, there would be no LeBron James, there'd be no Michael Jordan. Those brothers took a stance. It wasn't about their brand. It wasn't about the shoe they were trying to sell. It was about having the freedom to be a man. It was, it was about having the freedom of choice to, to be who you are, to represent. 
to stand up. And I think it's a monumental mistake to have our kids look up to these guys and for them to stand for nothing. Exactly. What what are we teaching our kids? Exactly. What what are we telling our young men? Hey, don't worry about ever standing up defending your people. Just make money. Somehow that's going to make it better. Mm. And make money for yourself. Because the main thing that I'm noticing about a lot of these guys is they've made a lot of wealth, and the wealth has been for themselves. They're doing Jerry, well, Jerry, Jerry Rice did doing well for himself. He's trying to get a network check now. Ray Lewis has done well for himself. He's still trying to get a network check. Stephen A. Smith done well for himself. He's trying to get a network check. These guys have done well for themselves on the back of talking about black topics, but at the same time shunning the black community. And that's one of the things that I've noticed with this whole debacle. I agree with you about Jim Brown and these other guys, and I feel like Colin Kaepernick, uh, and I'm writing this blog on the unattendedcitizen.com. So if you know that's a that's a drop also for those who've been wondering what I what I've been up to, unattendedcitizen.com. It's, it's, it's the it's the sister of Rad Radio. Uh, I'm writing a new blog and it's talking about Colin Kaepernick in that light. Of Colin Kaepernick is just channel, channeling his inner uh, Jim Brown. He's channeling those uh, those those uh, brothers and sisters of old. Who, who took a stand for something, who, yeah, he might lose some endorsements. They said uh, the linebacker from the Denver Broncos, Brandon Marshall, he's lost two endorsement deals. That's why uh, Russell Simmons had offered him an endorsement deal. But, you know, when you stand up for something, you're supposed to lose something. Uh, you know, I love LeBron James. I love Dwayne Wade. I love Chris Paul. But let me tell you, what they did at ESPYs, that was some of the softest protesting possible. They didn't lose anything. They didn't make anybody upset. They pretty much did what Michael Jordan did. They went and donated a million dollars here to one side and a million dollars to the other side, which in reality means you didn't give anything to anyone. So, you know, we we have these problems with our athletes who who do this constantly where they're like, oh, well, I just want to make sure that I'm fair to everyone. You know, it's still the the mentality of Republican buy tennis shoes too. And that's the that's the that's the ideology uh that we're standing with. So for me, when I see, you know, young Kaepernick doing what he's doing and I'm thinking about uh, you know, the flack that he's getting and then he's answering all of his critics and then I flip it over to Cam Newton and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Okay, this is a microcosm of what's wrong with black America today. Follow me here, brother. My man Colin was being raised by white families in foster care. Correct? Yep. Cam was raised by a black mother and father, Cecil Newton. Am I right? You're right. You know, you would think as a black father, and I'm not saying Cecil hasn't done this. I don't know what's going on with Cam, so I don't want to put anything on Cecil. Let me just keep it right there. But you would think with a black father, the first thing that you teach your children is to stand up for our people. That's what I teach my boys. And I'm looking at Cam, and I'm like, brother, you went from possibly the face of black quarterbacks to being Donovan McNabb, and all we're going to remember you for is these feminine outfits you have on. That's all we're going to know you from. And you're going to tear your legacy up because you won't speak up for yourself with these – Linebackers hitting you in your head. You won't speak up for your people in time of injustice. 
And like he said yesterday, uh, my job ain't to talk about retirement plans or pension plans or anything like that. My job is only to be a quarterback of this team, not a black quarterback, not a white quarterback, just a quarterback. Just a quarterback. And when I hear that, I just keep thinking, like, but here's a kid who was adopted who wished he could have had a father like Cam in his life, who wished he could have had a mother like Cam's mother in his life, who has his own biological mother speaking out against him for taking this stand. This is a young man who had to go through police pulling guns on him while he was in school, him and his roommates. So he knows what he's talking about. He knows about racial injustice. He 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 was in for he was inside of San Francisco during the whole Oscar Grant thing. That brother knows. He knows what's going on. Colin ain't no scrub. I don't know why these uh, Trent Dilfer called himself talking about you know what Colin is and you know Colin being a backup. Excuse me, Trent. You played on teams where the defense carried you. That yeah. young man Colin is a better quarterback than Trent Dilfer would ever be. Ever be. And it sounds like he's a better man than what Trent Dilfer would ever be. And the thing that bothers me with Cam Newton, brother, and, you, and I'll let you, uh, since you, you're a Georgia, you're a Georgia boy, let you finish it off uh, on this after this with Cam, is that I feel disrespected by Cam Newton uh, from the standpoint of we, as African-American men, we don't, pro- we don't promote no punkness. We ain't promoting no chumps that's getting along or going along to get along. We ain't never been down for that. Now, we done took it easy on you with your Fugazi dress style, you and Russell Westbrook, and the rest of these guys who dress like they're trying to get get an endorsement deal in in a woman's magazine. But I'm telling you, and I'm telling anybody, any of my listeners out here listening, the guys that you support, the guys that you show love to are the people who are like Colin Kaepernick and Brandon Marshall and the rest of these guys who are taking a stand. Don't buy a Cam Newton jersey. This ain't about team. This is about legacy and culture and who we are as a people. We are back as endangered species. When we see men like Cam Newton talking the way he talked, the same way Donovan McNabb talked. Them brothers to me ain't no different than Herman Cain and Clarence Thomas. I'll let you have the rest on this on this on this segment right here. I'm gonna be honest, and I would never think at this point that I would be saying the same thing about Cam that 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 I'm saying about Donovan. Donovan had wealth, talent, and he focused so much of his attention on what the media said he was or he wasn't, and he stopped using his own God-given ability. To, to, mm. to, to not fit a standard. Bro, you, mm. you was winning when you was running. I don't I, I don't see, and I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm take it from the sports realm and, and bring it back. Whatever your ability, whatever you do well, like you don't throw that away because somebody else says it's an advantage or a disadvantage. I've never liked the term mm. do a threat. We don't care for the term pocket passing. If you're a quarterback and the guy wide open, guess what you're going to do? You're going to throw it. If you a quarterback and everybody closed and you got a wide open running lane, what you gonna do? You gonna run? Some can do one skill set better than the other one. You ain't never heard right. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning take slacks for either or. Steve Young neither. Right. You do what you do to move the ball. It's about leadership to be to be totally honest. 
But but, but right. that to me helps self sabotage itself. Cam Newton do the mm. same thing now. And I think he's doing it for the dollar for the brand. Bruh, take mm. the dye out your goatee. Put on some pants mm. that fit exactly go down to your ankles, and man up. Mm. The same folks that was on his tail about dabbing, about him bringing the hood to the game, calling him a thug. These are the people you're going to take your cues from? Because I promise you, McNabb is up for the Hall of Fame. And most of those mm. writers are white. But yep. the fact that he wouldn't take a stain on anything is going to come bite him in the behind right about that. It will. Nobody, and he might have to go in with T. And he might have to go in with T.O. Wouldn't that be yep. something? Wouldn't that Could you be imagine right? him and T.O.? It would be. And, be. You know what? And I hope it goes down that way, because I would love to hear McNabb's speech first and T.O. second. And the reason why I say that is because I, I look at Cam and I'm like, brother, brother, you ain't got to do that. We gonna love you regardless. You don't have to be in Carolina. The people gonna love you regardless. They got to pay you. You got talent. You don't have to you you don't have to kiss these people's butts. You know the thing that they, they, that cracks me up with a lot of these millionaire athletes and entertainers is that they've made more money than the average person, black or white, is going to make in in a lifetime. There's no yep. need to kick, kiss behind at this point. What you should be trying to do as a person is you should be trying to figure out ways to to divest the money that you've made as well as uplift your people so you're not standing up there alone. That, that's the main yep. thing. Last point, Brother O, and I'm glad you're on here with me because only, we're only doing an hour. We're down to an hour now for Rand Radio. So I know some people are probably thinking, oh, I'm going to just tune in the second hour. That's not happening. I, I'm telling you, this is the best hour on Thursday as far as talk radio. So you might want to tell your mother, tell a friend that we're ranting again. But I wanted to talk about some things that I've been doing, Brother O. And for those people who don't know, I know if you are listening, you, you're seeing the Unintended Citizen banner. Um, so that's on um, the uh, that's that's on the promotion on Facebook. So I, I just want people to understand a couple of things. UnintendedCitizen.com is not me by myself. That that's who we are as African Americans. We were never intended to be citizens in the first place. That is the blog that I'm launching. I, like I told someone else before, I was planning to go deep. I was reaching out to all kinds of people, but I said, you know, I'm gonna keep this thing small. I'm gonna keep it with some 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 people that I know who got a who got a love for writing, a love for uh, truth, and a love for our culture. This is what this is about. Do not get us confused with the undefeated. They got some great articles. They mostly talk about sports. They do talk about some personal things. But the difference between unintendedcitizen.com or theunintendedcitizen.com and those things are this. We are focusing on every avenue possible that is uh, related to African Americans and black folks across the diaspora. That's the first thing. The second thing is we're not apologizing for anything. We don't have any white folks uh, pulling our strings from behind. So we're free to say and talk about whatever we want to talk about, whether it's blog, blog, or what have you. I want people to understand that this thing, when uh, the, when the rollout happens, is going to be so strong and the stories are going to be so frequent that you're going to fall in love and it's going to let you know this is what black journalism is supposed to do. Now, since I got you on, Brother O, and you're going to be dealing with sports, is there some things you want to let people know about what you got coming? All right, so I did a column on my own uh, on a social media site that everybody knows is white and blue, and I entitled it uh, 
the Tuesday morning left tackles. It's play on words. If you read sports, you know where I got the idea from. And I will cover the meaningful games, in my humble opinion, that happened in, in the NFL that weekend. I also cover uh, other stories that I think should be brought up. And I really, really, really want to focus my attention on a lot of the stories behind the stories, uh, trying to up their own brand and, 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 and branch out that way. I want to talk about the injustice that goes on. One of the things that you taught me as your friend, I'm saying you taught because it was definitely a lesson learned, is that somehow in this country we feel like we own entertainers and we really feel like we own our athletes. Well before they dribble the basketball or threw a football or hit a baseball or boxed, they were people. And the people's, people always make the story, whether it be something wide and amazing or something profane. At the end of the day, it's about the people. And that's the kind of personal perspective I want to bring to the stories. Um, hopefully I get a chance to get a couple of my friends that are still in the league, some of my friends that are still playing in college to help me really get behind the scenes. But I want to bring a more real, diverse perspective to sports. I kind of feel like there's a certain narrative that's being told, whether it be Sports Illustrated or ESPN the Magazine or NFL Network, it's the same narrative over and over and over again. Um, I want to take it a little bit deeper. I also want to be historically relevant. I really want to hark on this one. There are a bunch of misnomers in life and in history and sports. History, you would think, would be finite or complete, but it's fluid because we're always going back and finding out stuff that happened in the past that we didn't know that happened. But there are certain misnomers that have been told over in sports so many times that you start taking that fallacy as the truth. I want to break those down. Crazy stuff like nobody ever boxed for Barry Sanders. Crazy, disrespectful stuff like Emmitt Smith wasn't that good. His line made him. Like Emmitt Smith wasn't the last guy left standing. Not the quarterback, Troy Aikman. Not the receiver, Michael Irvin. Emmitt was the last one standing. So who made who? Those are the type of thought-provoking articles that I'm going to do, whether it be basketball, baseball, or football. And I want to talk about the human condition. Because, again, I, 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 I don't want to soft-hand these athletes. Part of the public eye is going to always be on you when you're a star. But that shouldn't rob right. you of your humanity. shouldn't rob you of your pride. You should still be, a man, be able to be a man or a woman, regardless of the sport and field you chose. You play that sport. You're more than that sport. And I think fans forget that often. Mm. And that's what I want to bring to the table. You know, that, that, that's definitely true, brother. That's definitely true. And I just want to, for the last four minutes, I want to talk about a documentary I'm doing. Uh, for the people out there, and you being in the military, you could definitely appreciate uh, that, uh, you know, why I'm doing this documentary. The documentary is called The Myth of Murder, and it's going to be discussing what really happens when a person pulls the trigger and creates murder. And we're going to talk about death from all angles. We're going to talk about what happens to the victim families. We're going to talk about not only the victim families, but we're going to also talk about what happens to the family of the, per- the perpetrator, the person who um, commits the act. What do they go through mentally? What are some of the mental side effects of committing murder? 
Because too many times in this society, Hollywood has painted the picture, hey, man, that person just kills you, go home, have something to drink, and, you know, that's all it is. No, there's a lot of things that happen. A lot of these people who have committed uh, these type of acts are walking around in our communities, and that's why uh, the violence while the violence may be down, some of the violence are more horrific because people are fi- finding out more ways to get away with crime. Uh, George Zimmerman just last week announced that he has PTSD. And George Zimmerman, if you don't know, is the man who killed Trayvon Martin. He thought he got away with it. And I knew when they said that he was acquitted that he didn't get away with it, that he was going to, after he sold the gun, after he did all this clowning around, he was going to have some mental side effect, and now he's going through it. His conscience, his conscience is eating at him. Trayvon Martin is eating at him. He thought he got the last laugh, but that's not how it works with murder. So we want to dispel the myth. We want to show you that this um, myth of murder did not start with hip-hop. That's another uh, misnomer that's out there, Brother O, where they ask why are children so violent or why is violence happening. You know, they they forget to tell us about uh, all these American movie stars that are, um, you know, known for violence. They also forgot yep. to tell you or tell us that, hey, you know, when you are black in the inner city, every high school and every college or community college has a military recruiter on campus. Why do you think they, they recruit us for the military? You think you're going over as a peace officer or are you going over there to lay somebody down if have to? So that's violence itself. So this culture that we have in the United States is a culture of violence. So this is why people are committing the act and this is why we're going to talk about this thing. We are going to try to fight violence, seriously, not fight it by saying don't do it. I want to show you. I want to show you the murderers. I want to show you what happened to the murderers so you're going to get a good glimpse of what's going on. I want people to be in support of, uh, support of it. If you go to the Rant Radio uh, fan page on Facebook, You'll see uh, later on tonight we'll have a spot where you can donate to the myth of murder. We're asking for $5, $10, $20, $25. If you, if you donate over $30, you will get, once we finish with the documentary, you'll get an advanced copy of the documentary. If you donate $100 or more, what you'll end up getting is you're going to get your name mentioned in the credits. We are doing this so we can compare the violence here in Minneapolis as well as the violence in Chicago, L.A., and all over the world. Predominantly, though, we're focused on the violence with African Americans because we are killing our future. Anytime a young black man kills another black man or a young black woman be killed by a black man or a black woman, we're taking away our teammates, our sisters, our brothers, people that we need to stay alive. These are people that can contribute great things to society if they get the chance to, if they're nurtured. So join me as well as some of the people that I have teamed up with me, and I'm going to have a show with those people on there in the uh, next couple of weeks uh, and help us uh, get this thing off the ground. All we're looking for is just $25,000, which is not a lot total to shoot this documentary. I promise you, if you invest on this documentary, you might be saving one of your relatives' lives or you might be saving your own. With that being said, Brother O, I want to thank you 
uh, for uh, coming back on. We will be back every week. We, we, we're done with the slacking. Unattended Citizen is coming real soon, sooner than you thought, as well as a couple of more things. I just want to shout out uh, Sister Lanisha. I know she's probably somewhere with her children. Uh, I know her daughter's playing football, and i got to get her on so we can talk about that. And everybody else that's out there listening, man, y'all be easy, y'all be safe. But I'm telling y'all, if it's Thursday, if it's Thursday and it's at 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific, or if it's 7 p.m. Eastern, Rand Radio is the best hour on radio. Forget what you heard. Tell a mama, tell a friend. Next week we'll be ranting again. Peace. Peace.